It's good to come together and worship our great God and King together today. Uh, just a couple of things by, by way of announcements before we uh, get started worshiping the Lord together. Uh, if you, if you uh, see in your bulletin, there's a couple of things in here, but at the bottom, there's a uh, winter youth retreat for any of the families with kids here. Winter Youth Retreat, uh, sponsored by Edgewood Baptist Church in Anderson, Indiana, January 25th through the 27th. There should be more details coming about that, coming out about that in the future. Uh, but just to sort of uh, put that on your put that on your radar, if you know somebody that might enjoy that, or if your kids would uh, enjoy that themselves. Also, this afternoon, uh, we're going to be hosting Pastor Bala, who's going to come and uh, give us an update about his ministry uh, in New Zealand. So he will be here for the uh, 145 service and be addressing us uh, as he gives us an update about his ministry. But as we, uh, as we prepare to worship the Lord together, I'd like to direct your attention to passage of the Word of God from Job chapter 42, Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself, and repent in dust and ashes. Today as we worship the Lord together, we are coming into one who is too, coming to the presence of one who is too lofty to understand. So often we utter what we don't understand. We, uh, we pretend to utter things about our God that are too wonderful for us that we do not know. So as we prepare our hearts to worship our King together, let's prepare our minds to understand the greatness and the glory of the one whose presence we come into.
Well, if you'd stand with me, and as you're standing, uh, look, in your, look in your bulletin at our passage of Scripture that we have for the call to worship this morning. And it's going to be a responsive reading. I'll read what's not emboldened, and uh, you'll respond by reading what is in the bold type there. It's going to be from Psalm 95, verses 1 through 7. Let's hear the word of the Lord together. O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. The sea is His, for it was He who made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. This is the reading of God's word. Uh, As we continue to worship the Lord together, let's uh, turn in our Trinity hymnals to Trinity number 490. Trinity number 490, it's going to be Onward Christian Soldiers.
let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father in heaven, we thank you that as we gather together today to the heavenly Zion, the new Jerusalem coming together as your people, the precious, spotless bride of Christ purchased with something more valuable than our minds could even imagine, the blood of the God-man. We thank you that he is risen today. We thank you that today we get a taste of that heavenly rest that is promised to us in eternity with Christ and his people. So we pray that we would rest in him today. We pray that we would worship you with all our hearts, with all our souls today, even as we hear your word. Give us minds to understand and hearts to accept and believe the truths that are going to be preached to us from your word today. We pray these things in the mighty name of your exalted son. Amen. We're going to continue worshiping the Lord in song now. If you turn with me to Trinity number 488. Trinity number 488. It's going to be Lead On, O King Eternal. Our scripture reading uh, this morning is going to be from John chapter 9. So if you'd turn with me in your copy of the Word of God to John chapter 9. And if you're familiar with your Bible, you'll know that 
Often in the gospel accounts, the miracles of Christ have a couple of different purposes. And those purposes are to demonstrate the unbelief of those who oppose him and to demonstrate those who are truly his because those who are truly his gladly accept the truth that he is the Messiah that is proved from his works. And we're going to see that in this chapter. In this chapter, uh, Jesus heals a man that is born blind. Everyone knows this man is blind. Apparently, he was a pretty publicly known person, and Jesus publicly heals him. But this demonstrates the hardness of heart and the deadness and trespasses and sins of his opponents, the Pharisees, because even in the face of incontrovertible evidence that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, who has the power to take someone who everyone knows he's been blind and give him sight, these people still will not believe in him. So Jesus says that this miracle is intended. This, Jesus says that this miracle is intended to demonstrate the glory of God. So uh, let's read together from John chapter 9. Hear now the word of the living and the true God. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. For we must, works the, for we must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he, but others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. And they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. But some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you now say? What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then does he see now? And his parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, 
he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. For this man, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, how he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. This is the word of God. As we seek our God together in prayer again this morning, we especially want to pray for the Perkins who left this week for Indonesia after being here in the States for, I think, a couple years. They've gone back overseas, them and their three children. And we pray that God will bless their ministry for his glory and honor. And then also let me encourage you to weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. And in light of that, continue to pray for Beth and her family and the death of her grandfather. And then also to rejoice in the birth of a new grandchild to the Montrise, who has a wonderful name he's been given. We weren't sure what it was going to be on Wednesday, but we now know what it is. If you haven't looked in your bulletin, you will find it there. All right? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we have heard your word read to us this morning, we see in that blind man our own testimony. Though we were not blind physically, we were certainly blind spiritually. And how thankful we are that many of us can say, I once was blind, but now I see. And that's by your amazing grace. And the work of your Son on the cross, who gave his life a ransom for ours. And so, Father, many of us rejoice this morning in hearing this narrative from your word and just being reminded of, what we once were and what we are now. Not not by anything that we have done, 
but by your goodness, your mercy, and your grace. So that to God be the glory. Great things he has done. And Father, how we would pray for those who may sit among us, for those who may be family members and those who just live in our culture, in our community, who are yet lost in their sins. Oh, Father, we pray that you would open again blind eyes and cause many to see their need of a Savior. And may we be ready to share the the wonderful good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again, that we might have life and have it abundantly. That Jesus truly is the way, truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through him. And so we pray that today would be a day of salvation for many as your word goes forth, not only here but around the world. And Father, we we thank you for the Perkins and pray that as they have again departed and gone back to Indonesia, we pray, Father, you would bless them. We pray that Philip and Abigail would diligently pursue one another in their marriage. We pray that you would help them with the responsibility of bringing up their little ones in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so may you bless them as a family and help them to do that which is right and pleasing in your sight. And then use them, we pray, for the advancement of your kingdom in a land far, far away from us. And as we think of the ministry around the world, again, we thank you for Pastor Bala. And we greatly anticipate him being with us this afternoon and to hear again how you're pleased to use him around the world to Tamil-speaking people. And so may we be encouraged and may we be an instrument that encourages him as we come along beside him for the work of the ministry. Father, we are reminded again that it's appointed unto every man once to die and we just pray that you would be with Beth's family, we pray that they might know of your comfort and your help. We pray that even as they went through everything this week with the grandfather's funeral, that many in her family may come to see their need of a Savior. That while every man is appointed to die, then comes the judgment. And the only way to be ready for the judgment is found in Christ. But, Father, we do pray that you would draw near to this family. And we do rejoice at the news of a a new grandson for the Montrise. And we pray, Father, that he will be an instrument of great delight and joy in Cliff and Diane's life as well as his parents. And that he would seek you early in remembering the Creator in the days of his youth. So, again, Father, we ask that you would draw near to us as we come to open your word Help us to have hearts that are ready to receive the seed of the Word of God, that it might grow to your glory and honor. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you'd stand with me as we continue to worship the Lord in song together. We're going to be at Trinity number 215. Trinity number 215. The head that once was crowned. Trinity 215, the head that once was crowned.
Take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. As you're turning there, just one announcement or correction. Most of you probably noticed this already, but in the front of your bulletins there is this verse found, and it says Mark 4.4. That's 1 Timothy 1.17. So I've made that correction. I don't need to be told another ten times this morning. So, uh, like I said, I imagine most of you noticed that right away, and so I wanted to correct that. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 38. And John said to him, that is to Christ, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not hinder him, for there is no one who performs a miracle in my name and be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. For whoever gives you a cup of cold water to drink Because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. And whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone hung around his neck and he was cast into the sea. And if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, for it is better for you to enter life eternal, enter life lame than have your two feet to be cast into hell where there is the worm that does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but If the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Well, as we come to this passage of Scripture, it is perhaps a good thing for us to remember the words of our Lord in John chapter 13. There He said, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Later down in that very same passage, Christ again talking to his disciples says this, If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Now such a statement, should be in the forefront of our minds 
each time that we are instructed in God's word with regard to how we ought to live as disciples of Christ. He is our teacher. He is our master. And his instructions ought to be those things which we are resolute in our determination to be obedient to. John Stott, in one of his commentaries, says this, Basic to all discipleship is our resolve not only to address Jesus with polite titles and title, but to follow his teaching and obey his commands. And so as we come to Mark chapter 9 this morning, you will note that it's in the context of Jesus teaching his disciples. There in verse 31 we read, He was teaching his disciples and telling them. So the children of God should be resolute, serious in their determination with the help of the Spirit of God to walk as he's instructed us to walk. People, people are resolved in doing different things. One man may be determined and resolute in losing weight. Another man may be resolute and determined in having the best manicured lawn on the block. One man may be resolute and determined to be at a certain place financially by the time he reaches a certain age. And what you find with men who are resolute and determined is that much of their time and energy is spent on that which they are resolute in doing. So, so what are we determined to do? What are our resolutions? What is it that we're passionate about? What is it that much of our time and energy is used for? As disciples of Christ, certainly one thing every true believer ought to be determined to do is to be obedient to Jesus Christ, to take heed to his instructions. So we come to such a passage where Jesus is instructing us. And what you find in this passage is that his instruction is around the area of sin. As we read through the passage, did you notice a word that kept coming up again and again? It's the word struggle. We see it there in verse 42. We see it in verse 43. We see it in verse 45. We see it again in verse 47. That, that terminology of struggle. And, and in the original, that word means to cause to do wrong. To 
enticed to commit sin. To, to lead someone to sin. That, that's the thought behind the word struggle. And so that seems to be the, the dominant theme of our Lord on this occasion when he's instructing his disciples. In the context altogether, you will find that what our Lord has been dealing with, first of all, is a group of disciples who's arguing with one another. And what are they arguing about? Who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? They engage in this type of argument. Who's going, to be in, who's going to be the greatest? Jesus is aware of that, and therefore he begins to instruct them on, on real humility. In verses 36 and 37, he instructs them on humility, and he uses a little child as an illustration about being humble. John perhaps falls under a little bit of a conviction. Because you see, he says to the Lord, well, you know what? <laughs> there was a man, and he was casting out demons in your name. And we, we went to him and said, no, 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 no. You can't be doing that. Because you're not a follower of us. You're not really one of us. We're sort of a, an elite group. And you can't be doing things like this unless you're a part of our group. So, so we're not going to commend you for what you're doing. What's he doing? He's casting out demons. In Jesus' name. And our Lord tells John... Three reasons as to why you shouldn't be stopping him. And those three reasons are given to us in verses 39 to 41. Now he uses all this to give additional instructions. But these instructions have to do with sin. Sin in fellow believers, sin in our own hearts, and, and sin in the culture around us. And, and starting in verse 42 and going down through the end of the chapter, we hear his instruction. In instruction with regard to three areas in particular in which the seriousness of sin needs to be realized. It needs to be noted. And, and it's vitally important. Why? Because look at the judgment that he warns them with. He doesn't say, if you're guilty of these things, you're going to get a slap on the wrist. He, he warns them of eternal judgment. So we ought to take these things very seriously. So I want you to notice with me these three areas that he sets before his disciples. First area is sin in relationship to the little ones. Verse 42. Sin in relationship to the little ones. Now, 
first of all, let me say this. When Jesus speaks about little ones, he's not talking about children between the ages of 0 and 12. His reference to little ones here is a term of endearment that is used for those who have believed upon him. Notice what he says. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble. So he's really dealing with our fellow believers. He's dealing with others within the body. And the influence that we ought to have upon one another. Christ is stressing the obligation that is ours in our influence in the lives of individuals that we are close to. Christ is assuming that we are close to other believers. Christ is assuming that we have an influence on one another. Those that make up the body of Christ. So, so if nothing else, this should cause us to recognize that none of us should be satisfied with simply what, what I don't know if it's the right term or not, but I've called it this. None of us should be satisfied with simply being church takers. You know what a church taker is? You, you come in and you get a little bit of church and then you go out and that's it. The community of believers are meant to be a body. They're meant to have an effect upon each other's lives. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as a matter of some have. But stimulate. That, that word stimulate means to, to agitate. And some of you might like that. Oh yeah, I, I would love to agitate some people. But he tells you how you to agitate them. To love and good deeds. You're to have an effect upon others by which their love will grow for God and for their fellow men. And they will engage in those righteous activities that every believer should be engaged in. So he's warning them about what type of influence are you upon others, and we would say this way, who make up the body of Christ. We are called to be influencers in God's hands for the good of others. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul speaks about how Christ has, has joined us together. And he says this, he says, when each part is working properly, that is, when each part of the body of Christ is working as they ought, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Did you know you had a responsibility to work together as a body 
to encourage each other to love and to build each other up. Every believer has that responsibility. This idea that it's the pastor, it's the elder who's the one that's at work in the body of Christ and it is building them up in their relationship to God and and building them up in their love for one another. It's, It's not. My responsibility is, yes, to shepherd the flock of God, to feed the flock of God, but together as a body, we need to be building each other up. That's why we're not to neglect the coming together as some do. That will only hurt you spiritually. Any man or woman who thinks I'm an island in myself, and believe me, I can understand that. There are times, my wife can tell you, where I just soon be on an island all by myself. But it's not right. And it's not good for me or for you. What is, here's the question, what is my influence in the lives of people who make up the community of believers? How how do I influence my fellow believer? And, And the warning that our Lord gives here is some of you can be a stumbling block to them. You can be an ensnare, you can you can be the snare that influences them to do evil, to sin. What what are you declaring by your life as as others watch you? Do you know what? One of the biggest excuses that I hear for why some people don't do something and some people don't do this and some people do this. Oftentimes, the excuse, they don't quote the scripture. You know who they quote? Or who they look at? They look at other people. Well, you know, so-and-so doesn't do that. Well, you know, so-and-so doesn't come to that. Well, you know, so-and-so lives like that. It's our influence upon others that can hurt. Over and over again, years ago, we we did a series in the Sunday school on the let us's. You know how many times in the Word of God it says, let us, let us? Meaning we have a responsibility towards one another and an influence towards one another. Do you recognize that some of your actions and some of your attitudes and some of your behaviors can cause others to question their faith or doubt biblical truths of Christianity just because of the way we live sometimes and what we do? Does my behavior, attitude, or actions influence others to a closer walk with God or entice them to move away from Him. God takes this seriously. Do my words, do my actions, do my attitudes 
strengthen others or lead them away from the Lord? That's a sobering question. Then secondly, sin in relation to my own life. Sin in my own life. Christ instructs his followers considering, concerning the seriousness in which they deal with their own sin. He uses three significant body parts to get this message across. He uses the hand, he uses the foot, and he uses the eye. What does my hand embrace which it ought not? Where does my feet take me where they ought not to go? What does my eye look upon that it ought to turn away from? He says, listen, it's better for you to chop off a hand and live than for you be cast into hell where there's unquenchable fire. It's better for you to get rid of a foot, to pluck out an eye. It's better for you to be crippled and alive than to be cast into hell. That ought to grab our attention. Now, our our Lord is not here teaching Mutilation. I, I, I'm not encouraging any of you to go home and cut off a hand, pluck out an eye. No. What, what our Lord is saying is we need to take radical steps in dealing with known sin in our lives. We need to be radical about this. Take serious consideration about your own sin. And I don't think, maybe, but let me squelch it, I don't think anybody here would say, I have no sin. What is he talking about? Because John makes it clear, if a man says he has no sin, he's a liar. We all have sin we need to deal with. And Jesus Christ is instructing us to take it seriously. Sometimes we make little of our sin. We, we do things like, who's it going to hurt? Or, or, or we try to justify it. Yeah, yeah, I know I got angry, but you know, they had it coming. And it wasn't righteous anger, it's sinful anger, and, and, and you sort of try to justify it. Well, you know, they deserved it. I know you're not supposed to gossip, but, but I didn't know that about Sally Joe or whoever. Did you know? Because, you know, here's what I heard. No, no, I don't want to hear it. 
I hesitate to begin naming sins lest I miss yours and you think you're off the hook. You know. I know mine. I know mine. We really don't consider the cost of our sin. In fact, to be honest, our sin can be enjoyable. Our sin can be profitable. Isn't that true? But only for a season. And in the end, it leads to death. Satan is such a liar. Such a deceiver. And he comes along and he says things like, doesn't it make you feel good? Nobody else is going to know. You can get away with this. How much easier it would be if Satan would just walk up and say, you know what? I'm going to put this in front of you and in the end, it's going to kill you, man. It's going to kill you, but for a moment, it can be fun. But you're going to die a terrible death of unquenchable fire if you engage in these things. It will be to your end. But here, let's have some fun. But he didn't do that. As Thomas Brooks says in his book, Precious Remedy Against Satan's Devices, he hides the, he hides the hook with beautiful bait so that he can entrap you into your sin. And, and many of us know the reality of that. How crafty he is. Turn over just briefly to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James 1, starting in verse 14. Let's start at verse 13. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's accomplished, it brings forth death. Now notice the next words. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. These are, these are words written to believers. And, and he's warning them. If, if, you look, if you look here at the passage, John Blanchard in his commentary on James talks about the advancement of sin. First of all, there's the condition. You have evil desires. You begin to you begin to think about things you ought not to think about. And then then there's the consideration. He's he's dragged away. He uses the illustration of of, of hunting and fishing and and where an animal is is lured out of his place of safety by other things. He's lured out of a place of safety to a place where he'll be attacked and captured. And then there's the conception. After the desire has conceived, 
It gives birth to sin. It's, it's an unholy marriage. There's, there, there's the desire that, that then is conceived. It, they, they come together and, and then there's sin. And then the conclusion, it brings forth death. It's a warning to each one of us concerning our own sin. Don't make light of your sin. It will destroy you. But then finally, there is sin and its relationship to society or to culture. Notice what he says here. Go back to Mark 9 if you're not there. I was about ready to read James to you again. Mark 9, verse 49, For everyone will be salted with fire. And this is a very difficult passage to interpret. There are a couple different interpretations that men give to this this statement. I, I believe that what he has in mind is, as you seek to live godly in this world, be ready for persecution. The Word of God tells us the man who lives godly shall suffer persecution. There is opposition. Peter warns us, do not be surprised by what? Fiery trials. As you seek to live godly in this society, you'll face opposition. Because at the end of the day, you ought to be salt. Your position in this world ought to be salt. We read, you are the salt of the earth. What's the purpose of salt? Well, a major purpose of salt is to be a preservative. It's to deal with corruption. They would often salt their meat so that corruption would not come in. And what Jesus is saying, listen, in this world and in this society and in this culture, you you also should have an influence. People should take note of how you live. And and it ought to be a, a means of keeping them from corruption. Our lives and how we're determined to live will be a means by which we pray corruption will be held back. Now, it will come with a price. It will cost you. You stand up for what is right, and you'll be marked out. You determine that this is our final authority. So so if God says, in the beginning he made a man and a woman, argument settled. And if you push back against anyone who says, no, there's 112 different genders... You're going to be called everything from narrow-minded to fanatics to unloving. It's because we love that we declare the truth. 
you stand up and say, you know what? The Bible says, thou shalt not steal. No matter what high officials may say about, well, you know, they just have need of things. It's still wrong. That will come with opposition. I could go on and on, but I won't, you know. You know the truth. And we as believers need to be lights and salt in this world. Peter and John had the reputation of men who had been with Jesus. What a wonderful reputation. Men who had been with Jesus. There's just something about the way you live. And the world will take note. It might be a silly illustration, but maybe I'll get a point across. Yesterday, my wife and I were in Marion, Indiana, and we, we stopped at a, uh, a gas station store, and I parked right in the front. And I get out, and I go around to the side and to get my wife's car door, which is my usual practice, and some lady comes up, and she looks somewhere between 18 and 20, nice-looking young lady, and she comes walking up to us, and she looks at me and says, cute. Cute. And I didn't know what that meant. Most 18 to 20-year-old young ladies don't look at me and say cute. So I said, what, what does that mean? And, and she said, I just think it's so great. And, and this is where I was humbled. I think it's so great to see an old couple, okay, that seem to really care about each other. I think that's really cute. So much for an 18, 20-year-old girl telling me I'm cute, huh? It's because I'm old. But, but that's just a, a, a little example of doing something in this culture and in this society that is abnormal, that's different than most. My wife deserves to be treated as a lady. She's a woman. I'm a man. We have different roles. Somebody took note of that. that's how we should live in this world. People say, wow, what is it about your life? Why do you people live this way? What is it that drives you? What are you passionate about? What, what's going on here? And we're ready to give the answer, aren't we? I trust. It's our Savior. It's our Lord. Well, these are three areas. Areas with regard to my influence in the lives of fellow believers. Areas of such as, as in my own life and my own sin and how I deal with my sin. Area of the culture in which we live. Someone may say, Pastor, why, why this passage? Why are you setting this before us? Because I need it. I need this reminder. How serious God is takes sin 
So if you didn't need it, I did. And many of us would have to say, I failed miserably. I've not done well. And for us, I say, listen, run to God's grace and his mercy. No no one needs to leave here this morning downcast, discouraged, because there is a forgiving God. If he's to mark iniquity, who could stand? There's forgiveness with God that he might be feared. So what does that mean? That means, listen, if... If, if there's a sense of conviction that I, that I feel in my own soul because I've, I've made so little of sin, I need to confess that to God. And thankfully, he, He's willing to forgive. There's forgiveness with God. But it says that He might be feared, which means that don't mean I go out and live the same way the rest of my time. It means I, I want to live differently. I, I want to live godly. So I want to take my sin seriously. And so my, my, my fellow believers, my fellow disciples, do, do as, as we were commanded in Scripture, confess that as sin, run to God's grace and mercy, and then press on to godliness and holiness to the glory of God. But let me close with this. If you're here this morning and you're still lost in your sin, you're still under the wrath of God, and you take that lightly, my friend, listen listen to what the Word of God says concerning your end. He says you're going to be cast into hell into unquenchable fire. Unquenchable fire. Total misery one day will be yours. A couple weeks ago, I took something out of the microwave, pulled back the, the plastic that was on it, steam come out, and boy, did it get me good. It burnt these two fingers. There's still a little bit of scarring there. Oh, did that hurt. And, and, and I told my wife, oh, it hurts so bad. But you know what? By and by, there's relief. Doesn't hurt anymore. No more pain. When the Bible says hell is unquenchable fire, it means there's never going to be relief. It is eternal misery. And my friends, you don't have to experience that. Christ stands ready to save. He stands ready to receive all who come to Him in faith and repentance. Hell's described here as a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. I often I cringe when I hear somebody say something like this. Well, you know, if I die and go to hell, I'll just spend a great time with some of my friends. Unquenchable fire, I don't care who you're with, is not a great time. It's Christ stands ready. For anyone who bows their knee, confesses him as Lord, turns away from sin, he will receive.
So may God help us to take these things to heart. These are the instructions of our Lord, our Master. Blessed are we if we do them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we we pray that by the work of your Spirit, you would come now and have dealings with us where there's been anything of myself, we pray that you would chase it away. But where the Word of God comes, we pray, Father, the Spirit would make it effective to work in hearts and lives to your glory and your honor as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, before we're dismissed, let's take our hymn books, Trinity hymn books, turning to 678. 678. Christ shall have dominion. 
we are having lunch together. You're welcome to stay for that. And then God willing, Pastor Bala will be here, and we'll get a report from him concerning the Sudan-speaking people. You are dismissed. Thank you.